0: Hey there, Chapel Bell Curve listeners. Justin here, just popping into the beginning of the episode real quick uh, to give you a little bit of context for what you're about to hear. By the end of the last football season, the 2018-2019 to season, Seth Emerson reached out and kind of made a joke about how we never interview him or ever have him on the show. So we reached out and held him to that. And we eventually got him on the phone and talk to him a little bit about his experience in the football world uh, of UGA specifically and uh, just his kind of his time as a journalist and the things he's learned along the way and what he thinks about this upcoming season and past seasons so we had a lot of fun making it I hope Seth did as well Uh, I hope this is the beginning of many Seth Emerson trips out to the Chapel Bell Curve universe and so without further ado I'll get right to the episode hello hello can you hear me all right
1: yep i hear you perfectly i'm sitting i'm outside of the school so that there's less noise i'm sitting in like the car rider's
0: lane all right nathan you ready yeah yeah do it okay Welcome to Keppel Belker, Stats focused podcast about UGA football. And as always, I'm Justin. And I'm Nathan. And today we are joined by a guest in studio, or well, sort of in studio, a sort of fictional virtual studio we've created here. Uh, athletic writer Seth Emerson is joining us here on the podcast today. Seth, thank you so much.
2: Thank you for referring to me as athletic writer,
1: uh, Seth Emerson, yeah. <laughs> as if I'm, yeah. you know. That was that was a actually. Doing a triathlon a as we.
0: You're an athletic yeah, writer. No.
1: I mean, I've seen you in person. You're very felt, you know, so I think he's also a writer yeah, at the athletics. I, I do do like 5Ks and
2: stuff, so that's not. I don't do them very well, but I do do them in my defense.
0: Nice. <laughs> I'm just kind of just flying by to see my pants here. All right, so so we have a, a, a few fun questions for you. We got a bunch of questions about journalism at large, uh, what it is you do, what you've seen since you've been doing this for quite some time now and by that i mean just much longer than we have professionally making money for it and such and then we'll jump into some sports questions but uh nathan has uh the floor with the first one if you want to start us off nathan
1: yeah so i thought the best way to um the best way to approach an interview with the most famous person who's ever been on your podcast is to ask them a <laughs> bunch of navel gazing questions about the media it's very on but we just want to like really uh make sure we're filtering our audience down to the smallest possible amount so let's talk about the media <laughs> um, that sounds like a great place to start. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, I, you know, I do one, one thing I've always been curious about, and this is, I guess, you know, I've been reading your stuff sort of, uh, religiously for, since you were on the UJ beat, I guess with AJC first. Um, and one thing I've noticed about you and some of your, a couple of your colleagues is that you, are uh, and this, and correct me if I'm wrong, seem to be sort of like an old school journalist, both in affect, but also in like process um i just Mm -hmm. noticed that i'm not saying you're old or that you're stuck in (laughs) that thinking that's cool but rather you you seem to have a very firm set of professional guidelines that guide your writing sourcing public appearances whatever social media presence um and increasingly it feels like you know that kind of professionalism is at odds with the sort of like first to publish culture um of media everywhere and i'm just curious what you think do you do you see that as like a Do you see that as a role that you play that's important? What do you think that kind of journalism, what role does that have in sports media or just in media in general?
2: Right. Well, there's a lot of ways to go with that. So I don't want to drone on and go off into 5,000 different tangents, but like at its core, the way I see myself is, and, and I think that there's other people around the Georgia Beat that I see them also being that way. So I'm not going to hold myself up as this lone paragon of, you know, virtue or whatever. But yeah. I think you have to have the old school principles that I was taught in journalism school and I came up with, like being taught that this is the way to do it. Um, and that is, when at all possible, have two sources. Um, make sure the story is right before you publish. Uh, try to have as few as typos in your story <laughs> as possible. Um, <laughs> be fair and be accurate. Uh, don't just rush something out just so you can get the page views and the clicks and, and write something that's, that's in-depth. It, it is hard to stick to those principles in a world where everyone wants to be first and you get rewarded for being first and where the, the culture at a lot of places, because that's the, that's the model, the economic model, is page views. And mm-hmm, right. th- that's, where, that's where the athletic is trying to deviate away. Um, do we care about page views? Sure, but we're not charging advertisers for how many like page views we produce because we don't have advertising right now. We subsist on subscriptions and right. what we want and what, what we have found, it's been gratifying. Response has been good is that people will pay for a, a subscription to a media outlet if they value it and they value what they're getting. And so when you are, are doing that, when you're doing it that way and when it's, when you're not trying to always be first, when you're not trying to always kind of clickbait people into, Ooh, this sounds like an interesting headline. I'm going to click. And what do I have to lose? Because it's for free. When you pull people in by saying, look, we're going to have in-depth quality stuff rather than quantity. Th- they value that. And that's that's why I'm kind of at home at the Athletic. I don't I don't begrudge what they do at the AJC and Dog Nation now, where I used to work, um, or, or the other places that where they don't charge subscriptions, but they make their money off of advertising or sponsorships that are tied into pages because that's their economic model. I did that. I was the guy that was trying to. I would post like three or four stories before Kirby Smart was done his. Introduction at a press conference on Tuesday. You know, here's, here's what Kirby Smart said about such and such. Here, so and so is injured. So and so is suspended. Blah, 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 blah. Now I can kind of hang back and do kind of one quality story from a Kirby Smart press conference. Um, and it's, it's just a lot easier. And so basically, I am, I am droning on. Sorry. I said I wasn't. No, 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 it's uh, okay. No, it's all good stuff. This
1: is very interesting. Yeah. But at, at its core, it's
2: keeping the old school principles, but adjusting it to, where we are now, you know, within yeah. where we are now. You got you got to be realistic. I want to keep having a job. I like this. I want to keep doing mm-hmm. this job, but I'm not going to give up the principles that I was taught at an early age. Um, I'm not going to sacrifice that for keeping a job.
1: Well, I'm, I'm cool. curious. This is not my next question. Well, it is, but it's not <laughs> what's on the sheet. Sorry, Justin. Um I'm curious, like, you know, in a world where, where where you are in the athletic, where you're not tied to, I mean, as closely to page views, is there less value to being like, I'm going to be the one who breaks this story first? I mean, I know obviously there's like an ego value, right. and like a professional reputation value, but like, is have there been times where you've been like, I could break this story, but I'd rather like have another source and then, you know, come back to it when I feel good about it? Or do you feel like there's less pressure on you um, in that sense?
2: Yeah, I, I think the... There's less pressure to break it because – now, from a pride standpoint, I still want to break every story, but I understand I'm not going to break every story. Um, Mark Weiser will break a story. Jake Rowe will break a story. Anthony Dasher will break a story. Chip Towers will break a story. We're we're all good at our jobs. We're all – that's the way it's been. The Georgia Bee is competitive. There are a lot of story breaks to go around. The – I almost hesitate to say this because I I don't want to kind of be giving away trade secrets, but I don't think I am. Hey, the key for me isn't writing the first story, to break a story. It's to write the best second story, as in the what it means. The, it, mm-hmm. If I break that Georgia um, is going to schedule Florida State in the 2030s or whatever it is, the tw- late 2020s, that's what came out a couple – When we're
1: weeks, all dead. A couple before. weeks ago.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, so I, I knew that, I knew that was being released when it was. But I couldn't write anything yet. And I tried to be among the first on Twitter to say, hey, this is happening, but uh, big deal. You know, who cares? (laughs) Um, It would be great. It would be great, you know. But what was more important to me was to have the what it means story of what this means is Georgia, in addition to scheduling Florida State and another series with Clemson, and they're working on more, including one with Oklahoma, which I did break in that story. This means that they are not fooling around. And this is why they want to do it because they believe in schedule strength being an important formula for the playoff. um, And that for attendance reasons, they just think fans aren't going to continue to show up to see UMass and, you know, East Valley State. And you need to, and, and they have a strategy where they want every year, not counting Georgia Tech, they want to have one Power Five non conference home game. One marquee game on that, you know, when season ticket holders go to see, all right, this is how much I'm going to pay this year. You've got one marquee game like this year. They got Notre Dame. Um, and so in future years, they want it to either be Florida State or Climb Center or uh, Texas or Oklahoma. Um, and they're working on some more. So, anyway, so again, finish droning on and get back to your original <laughs> thing. Yeah, I, I'd love to break every story. But when you break a story, everybody's going to have it within in today's culture within a couple minutes or five Mm -hmm. minutes who's going to have the best explanation of the what it means of the story that that's that's
0: what i want in the current media structure then uh and and as we get away from how we used to like grade ourselves and rate ourselves you know at the end of the day how do you What's your report card look like for how you've graded what you've done? How do you, when when you go to bed at night and look back on your day, what are the metrics for you that say, like, I did a good day, I did a good job, you know, today was okay, I I succeeded, I I met all my goals. What does that look like for you now without the, the, you know, the previous metrics that we used to use as journalists?
2: Yeah, I mean, before it was like, what were my page views today? And what have Mm -hmm. they been this week? And lately? And what am I going to do tomorrow? To get page views, I, I didn't have a quota per se, but there was sort of an unsaid—you know—who who has the most page views, who's the most prolific. Um, it, it's not that anymore. We we still have a metric that says shows how many people, how many subscribers are are reading each story, and how many people are are subscribing on that story. Um, and we obviously keep that internal, um, but it, it's more like. This is gonna sound like so egotistical. I'm gonna rub people the wrong way, but it, it, I, I want to go to bed at night and say, did I do a good job today? Did 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 the story that I post, post, did the work that I do, was it good? And people may not even know like what that is. Like I've now got a list, and I, I was working on one last night. I did an interview for this story that was last night, and it's not gonna be posted, it's not gonna be published for probably another month, but. I've been working on it a while, and I did a few things on it yesterday as far as interviews, as far as sitting down and planning it out, structuring it, that I was happy with. and I was able to say, all right, I did a good job with this story. And I've got a couple other stories that are kind of like that, too, that I'm kind of – they're on my to-do list, and I'm slowly working on them. Um, I I just feel like I've got a lot more time now where I can – it's not – I don't have to worry about what am I going to write today, Friday. Uh, that is going to be posted today. I'm not, unless there's breaking news, I'm not going to write anything today that gets posted. Um, I'm going to go tomorrow to the Saturday Kirby Smart Post Scrimmage Press Conference and write something off of that. But, but I'm not going to today. Today, I'm going to work on other stuff. And, and that's fun. That's, that's, that's liberating. And, and the advantage for the reader, hopefully, is that we've been working a while on these in-depth stories. And
1: when they finally do appear, um you enjoy reading it yeah yeah i will say as a, as an athletic subscriber and someone with two english degrees it's um <laughs> uh, it's so nice man it's uh, i read 14 year old papers all day and just like reading off website is just like a, such a joy you don't split <laughs> infinitives and you write the correct like their titles are perfect perfectly formatted oh anyway <laughs> two english degrees uh, yeah i mean i have a i've an i have an undergrad in english and a master's in language and literacy education.
2: Wow. Okay. Well, that's that's a lot. You know, one of my partners at uh, ex beat partner when I was covering South Carolina for the state newspapers, Joe Person. He now covers the Carolina Panthers for the Athletic, and he got an English degree at William and Mary, where he was actually Ooh, yeah. a teammate on the football team at William and Mary, Mike Tomlin. Oh, that's awesome. Who I don't, yeah, I don't believe Mike Tomlin had an English degree,
1: but he had some <laughs> sort of. Degree. It's. Po- I mean, like we can't rule it out right now. We don't have the sources. No. To, uh, no. I, uh, yeah. Um, well, Liz, uh, next question, I, I'm curious about, and this is, I guess, kind of transitioning more into the. Um, I have one media question, then one kind of like sportsy, teamy media question, and then I guess we can talk about real sports or something. Um, <laughs> one of the things that I've noticed, so like, there's this really dumb idea in sort of like the greater sports zeitgeist that like X national reporter hates my team, um, and that's stupid yeah. because I don't really think I don't think reporters hate any team. That it's just your job. Um, I don't hate my students when I write them up. I just write them up, whatever. And, but I, it do, it does seem, I do think that in sometimes there, there seems to be like a disconnect, um, between national perception on programs and local perception on programs. And this is from yeah. any sport, any level. Um, and it seems to me like at the athletic, you guys are, I mean, and this might just be cause, you know, your national guys are very plugged in, but it seems to me that like you guys have a pretty good vertical alignment. And I'm, I'm, I'm curious if y'all have been, you know, if that has been like an intentional thing, like you're, you're trying to share, you're trying to keep, your national guys informed so that what they say lands well in the local markets right. or if that's just something of having good national reporters which i mean you do but i'm curious if that was like a intentional thing that you guys have done
2: yeah i don't know if it's intentional it's just kind of something that's worked out that way i mean it started out where it was Stuart mandel because he'll be honest with this he needed a job <laughs> you know he'd been through yeah yeah the whole <laughs> fox sports you know yeah
1: he got put the through the ringer there for about
2: yeah for a month yeah um, and, and he hooked up with this uh, editor, Dan Uthman, managing editor, who uh, left his job voluntarily at USA Today to start this, and they at first hired a bunch of national writers. It, it started as a national site. It, it wasn't until I came on board along with David Ubbin to cover Tennessee we were the first two, like, beat mm-hmm. guys. Um, I should say beat writers because there are several women amongst our group now. Now we've got people covering um, even Georgia Tech, Tori Haney. Uh, Georgia graduate, very recent Georgia graduate, worked with me at Dog Nation. Um, we've got people covering Florida, uh, Clemson, um, just a, long, a very long list. And so what happens is you've got this kind of balance where you've got the national people. Bruce Feldman has since come on board. We have right. other writers that kind of – they are not Bruce Feldman or Stuart Mandel, but they they still have a national bent like Nicole Auerbach, um, Matt right. Fortuna, Max Olson, people like that. And we, we're all constantly in communication with each other. And, and I think what helps is that you've got people like me on the ground in Athens who can, who can kind of look at everything, including like – I can quote you the depth chart right now. You know, I mean right. the coaches will tell you there is no official depth chart right now, but there's kind of an unofficial one, and I can tell you what the depth chart is. One, two, three, my best guess. Well, Stuart Mando and Bruce Feldman can't do that they know about Jake Fromm and DeAndre Swift and a few other players, but they can give you a better perception from 30,000 feet. They need to look at the whole landscape. And when you have that kind of back and forth, you know, I think that helps. I mean, like when we get into the season, yeah. Yeah. When we get into the season, like Bruce Feldman could come to me and say, Hey, you know, what do you think about this Georgia Notre Dame game? And I would tell him, well, here's where I would be concerned from Georgia standpoint, but, or, here's where I think George is going to be pretty in pretty good shape. And we also exchange ideas on, on stories and, and things like that.
1: Yeah. I think that is one of the, I hate to, I don't want this to turn into like an ad for the athletic Jesus, um, but I do think, you know, <laughs> I'm I, not going to stop you. The, yeah. The person <laughs> I think that there is a correct perception that many national football writers or just national sports writers in general who aren't like college football focused, tend to have just really dumb takes. And I've noticed that there are not there's not a lot of dumb takes at, you know, the athletics. So, one, uh, I guess this is sort of more into the sports side to actually talk about sports. Like, smart, Kirby Smart, Nick Saban, infamously tight-lipped uh, in terms of, like, restricting media access and sort of you have to squeeze blood from a turnip, it feels like, sometimes, mm-hmm. um, with them. How do you think that impacts, like, because you you were here at the end of the Mark era, correct? Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. So how do you think, you know, that transition into being like much more tightly controlled um, media access, how has that impacted you? Like, do you think, you know, your job practically other than just being a pain and also just the perception of the programs, the programs in general in the media?
2: Well, I, I think it's one of these things where if you want to have these policies, you better win. Um, because media people are human, and we're going to, you know, if if you were, I, I try to tell people this all the time. they are like, why are you media people always belly about this? Blah blah blah. All right, what 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 is your job? Um, are you a, a teacher? Okay. What if all of a sudden um, your principal started taking away your, you know, your ability to have this access to this material or to this material? Um, you had to teach without this textbook and so on. Or if you're an accountant, you know, what, what if this was taken? access to these figures were taken away from you, or you couldn't file this way or blah, 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 blah. It's not a perfect example, but it's, it's something that we try to reflect and it, I know it comes off as belly. I just, I do, but sometimes, so I've, I've tried to pull back, you know, I really try to not mention the open records thing anymore unless I need to, but sometimes it's a matter of explaining to people. It's like, all right, We're not able, we're not as able to explain in this current situation, this situation we're talking about. I'm talking about some vague one because we don't have the information. Um, and we get asked all the time in practice, like, how is so and so looking? Say, well, I don't know. I mean, he looks (laughs) fine stretching. Um, but we, we don't see much in the way of 11 on 11, like meaningful drills. We see, for instance, the quarterbacks throwing to receivers. Uh, that's it. There, there's no defensive back there. There's no, there's nobody blocking. There's, there's nothing there. So it's not really meaningful. I can't give you a great breakdown of Dwan Mathis and how he's looked and Betson Bennett and how he's looked. Um, but honestly, that's not that much different from the Mark Richter. They were restricting practice access anyway. I think most head coaches are kind of that way and Kirby Smart because Nick Saban was this way. Um, they both don't actually have as much of a problem. With practice access, they, that's something, like I said, that has not been curtailed. It just wasn't great to begin with. It's player access. We can't talk to assistant coaches. We can't talk to freshmen. Um, they don't let us talk to as many players, period. Um, and those players we don't get for very long. They're on a pretty kind of strict, you know, 10 minutes and don't let it go over that kind of limit. Um, but part of it is kind of our own fault as a media where. I could do a great five minute interview with DeAndre Swift and really get into stuff that I wanted if there weren't like a whole bunch of cameras there, you know, I mean, it, as, as media members, and, and we don't do this at the athletic cause we don't do video, but other media people are always there with their videos. and So it, it's a, it's a real kind of cluster around a player instead of a real chance to kind of sit down and really have a conversation with them. That's the, that's something that years ago, when I was in college, uh, Michael Wilbon, when he's a Washington Post columnist, um, I heard him speak, and and he he said, you know, don't interview these people. Have a conversation. You know, don't just look for sound bites. Have a conversation with them. And and it's absolutely true. I've tried to always do that over the last twenty years I've been in this business. Um, and it's harder to do that these days. You're more just interviewing and stuff, but like with all things, I mean, we adjust, you know, I mean, Kirby smart feels like he has to do these things for his program, whether we agree or disagree with them. We as media people, we don't have any leverage, you know, as long as the program is winning and ultimately that's still good for us. Because people want to read and there's a demand for, for interest, uh, for our, for our stories. Um, but as long as the program is winning, people aren't going to rise up and say, Oh, you know, they're, they're going to say the opposite. They're going to say, well, Kirby's winning. And if, if he, feels like this is what he needs to do to win, then we're all for it. And I get that. And so we've learned to work around it. Um, I try not to bellyache about it much, except for, I guess, the last five minutes on this podcast, but more again, trying to explain, but you know, I I work around it. I find other ways. I, I, you know, it helps that I'm a little bit, I'm I'm relying a little bit more on columnizing an opinion now at the athletic, um, but not like hot take opinion. Because right. I want – we this gets back to what we were starting. It, when people don't like the hot take culture, the Stephen A. Smith, Skip Bayless kind of like Bianchi hot take culture, uh, that's a culture of they want you to tune in. Those may not yeah. be their real opinions. Right? I don't want to call out those three guys, but if you see a hot take, that, that, that's a sense of I don't know if that person really thinks that but they right. want you to click on their column or watch their show. If I yeah, have I mean, an I, opinion – yeah, I'm not, at, at The Athletic, if no, you has ahead. an opinion at The Athletic, you got to back that. You, we, that's what we actually think, maybe in the minority. right? A lot of people may not agree with it, but it's what we actually think.
1: Well, yeah, and I think the – I mean ultimately what makes a hot take is not the yelling. It's that it's the hot takes are facile, right? Like you can yeah. say yes. dumb, controversial stuff, but you can say controversial stuff, but if it's not shallow, then it's not a hot take to me. Anyway, let's. I, I do want to ask a couple of questions about actual football, if you don't mind. Um, <laughs> All right. Uh, well, you know, it's funny because my, my whole goal was like, I'm not going to ask him the same six dumb interview questions that he's been asked a thousand times. So we figure like our audience probably knows a lot about the team already. So I'm trying to come up with stuff that's not like, how do you think the team is this year? Um, yeah. <laughs> very good really our brand next question yeah 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 exactly (laughs) they're gonna be very good it's just all down to the 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 margins um you know recently uh we've sort of having a a swooning uh we've had a like kind of a fainting competition about the fact that kirby smart said the phrase happy great a couple of times um yeah because that's our brand and acknowledging it, it felt really good um so, but I'm curious if you can give us any insight about, you know, what role you've seen these advanced analytics either kind, you know, in the form. Of, I know they talk a lot about GPS or just other analytics. What what impact they found on UGA's program and, you know, sort of college football writ large. But also, I'm interested to see, like, are you using these advanced analytics in your, you know, in your thoughts or your analysis or whatever?
2: Yeah, I'm I'm trying to use them even more and more. Uh, wrote a story yesterday posted yesterday um, about how good Georgia was on second down last year and that people are like, really? Second down? Like, what's the big deal? Well, the the backup of that was I was researching actually third downs and saw that, you know, they were okay. But, and this was with my editor who um, used to work at ESPN. And so he has access to, his job was in analytics. And so he's very analytics based. And he actually came back to me and said, you know, Third down is okay, but Georgia was actually really good on second down, and he had all this stuff back up. You know, like Jake Fromm was one. You know, he he was that was his best was second down, and Elijah Holyfield was like had the best second down yards per carry in the country last year. DeAndre Swift was fourth, and that kind of stuff. And and then I boiled down to it. I'm like, well, why is this important? Because you know, <laughs> second down is where you have to be the most balanced usually. Because if you get to second down, that means you. Didn't get enough on first down. So it's more predictable to the defense that probably going to be a run or a pass here, depending on the distance. Um, So I I do things like that to develop stories. Uh, The Havoc Rate stuff, yeah. Um, Now you get some disagreements there over what exactly should go in Havoc Rate. We developed our own Havoc Rate thing, Jason Sterrett and I, where we added sacks, tackles for loss, interceptions. Um, pass breakups and QB pressures. And there's a lot of people would say, we'll take out QB pressures. Um, yeah. Yeah. So th- that can get th- th- the problem is, is I don't think that's something that people do a great job of being consistent. Like Georgia counts QB pressures. They put it in its, in their stats, like the following week after they've had a chance to go through and look at it. But what does Alabama do? What does Florida do? Yeah.
1: Uh, well, and you, know, you can't, I mean, when there's, there's a sack, sack, there's a sack you know. Right. Well, and when you're from the like 10,000, I will say from like the comparative, from the comparative standpoint, where you're trying to compare all 114 teams, it's difficult because QB freshers are subjective to just like scrape that data. And I think the second down thing is really interesting because like second down is the core of like the efficiency metric, right? Because anyway, I don't want to, this is about, not about me. Anyway, um, (laughs) so (laughs) I have a lot of thoughts about it, but it's okay. That's what the rest of the podcast is for. So what do you think is the biggest misconception that people have about the way college football works in general and just about UJ's program specifically? I'm interested if there's cool. anything, because I think, okay, so like, uh, let me, let me give you, con- let me give you a little more context. Yeah, to be more, yeah, more, more, dial more it
0: a little specific, bit, yeah. That's,
1: yeah. Yeah, that's a lot, that's a giant question, but what I mean specifically is, so I worked with UJ Athletics for a while, I worked on the academic side, and so I got, at least uh, an outsider's perspective on just like how the day in and day out of these athletes lives work and how the day in and day Mm -hmm. out of being in big time athletics works. Um, But you have had even more access than I have to just sort of like the mechanics of the program, the mechanics of logistically how things work. And I'm just curious, like what do you think are the things that people don't see when they like spout off about wins and losses or whatever that. Yeah. Well, well, there's two things at 10,000 foot level. Yeah.
2: Yeah, there's two things that spring to mind, but I guess they go back to the, the human element of it. Um, number one, do people realize how structured these guys' lives are? Like with, in a football program, um, you know, you've got the 24 20 hour rule per week, which is supposed to limit how much time you spend uh, in the weight room slash, you know, at practice, in team meetings, etc. But that adds up when you also count in class. And then you've got, you're well aware of the academic part of it. They got to go to the rank and building and, and keep on top of that. They, th- these guys have a lot going on in their lives. They, this is just not the practice games and a few classes. It's practices, games, classes, weight room, lifting sessions, which by the way are happening a lot in the spring. Um, and it's year round, like they, they get sent away for a little bit over winter break and a little bit over the summer. But not very long, um, I mean if you're in a football program you're you're doing a lot, and you're you're doing the academic side of it, study halls, um, all these things these these guys have very full, busy lives. I'm not saying feel sorry for them, um, but just understand that part of it. And then I'd also just kind of say the human element something that uh, you know it it's easy for fans to. And I understand this because I'm, besides in my own job, I'm a fan of other teams. And, you know, I understand the the tendency to want to say, fire this guy, get rid of this guy, throw this guy aboard, you know, et cetera. But these guys are people, you know, and I think through being around these teams for over the years and kind of being in the arena, so to speak, or at least allowed close to the arena, I, I have a lot more sympathy for them. Um, I understand that. I understand that. I'm trying to use an example. Um, like when, when I understand Mark Fox was making a lot of money. Okay, and I understand that at nine years, it was you know, they had hit their peak. They had stagnated. It was time to make a change. But I had sympathy for him and his family because I, I had interviewed him for nine years, and you know what? He was he was good to me, and he, he was a nice guy. And his players seem to genuinely like him, and that's also the human side of it when we look at the Georgia football team.
1: Yeah, so I guess um, we don't we don't want to take too much more of your time here. Uh, we really appreciate, by the way, now that we're like at a brief stopping place, this is really awesome that you're doing this, dude. And I yeah, really this is appreciate awesome. It. Yeah, um, I hope it's, we don't have. It's helpful. Yeah, yeah, no, it is, it is incredibly. We are. Uh, I'm having a hard time, like, dealing with the ramifications of the fact that people are actually listening to this. So this is sort of, like, really...
0: <laughs> That's really, a, a, a normal, normal occurrence moment. for us, yeah.
1: So I'm curious, uh, so, like, zooming in, let me see if I can ask you, like, an intelligent question about this year. Okay. So it seems to me, just, like, looking at the schedule, that, you know, like, the key games are always the key games. Everybody always be like, well, you got to win the East, Oh, well, uh C SEC games matter more. That's not really what I care about. What I'm curious about is, do you think, is there any specific game that you look at on this schedule that you think is sort of going to be like a line of demarcation game? And what I mean by that is, like, sometimes it feels like there are games in a given season just because of the human element, like you were saying, just because of injuries, et cetera, where where it's like, if this game, if they had won this game, things would have been totally different for the rest of the year, that kind of thing. I think
2: I keep coming to the Auburn game because for each of the three years of the Kirby Smart era, they have laid an egg against a West team on the road. Um, and the first year, it was Ole Miss. Second year, it was Auburn. Third year, it was LSU. Now, the last two years, they didn't need that game. They still went into the SEC championship game with a chance to win in the end. So in, in the playoff system, especially in the SEC, you're kind of allowed one mulligan which I think is fair if you're going to play 12 games like that. Um, so the Auburn game is the one that you look at and say, "Is you know, now a lot is kind of up in the air about how good Auburn is going to be, which seems like that's the case every year. But, you know, Gus Malzahn ultimately is a good coach, at least good enough that by the time Georgia plays them, at least in 2019, apparently that's going to change in 2020 and beyond. But by the time you play them in mid-November, you don't know what Auburn's going to look like. You don't know what Georgia's going to look like. You know what the injury is going to look like. But even if Georgia were to slip up and lose that Auburn game, 11-1, and one, if they win the rest, we'll get them where they need to get. So I kind of – there's also that the Texas A&M game because that stretch in November is going to be interesting with Auburn and Texas A&M and Georgia Tech. But
1: mm-hmm.
2: I do now start to wonder about the Notre Dame game. Week three, Notre Dame's coming in here. Um, will will there be a danger in Georgia taking them a little bit too lightly? Because they won there two years ago, and yeah, Notre Dame is the team they got blown out in the in the playoff last year. Uh, Notre Dame, a little bit of the you know, Notre Dame always seems to be a little bit better during the Brian Kelly era when they're being doubted. Um, it's when they kind of get to the top, that they they lay their egg. Um, so that, that's one I wonder about. I, I sit here and I look at Georgia's schedule, and I think they'll be favored in every game. Um, but there's still enough potential pitfalls. Um, I, I, I will say, though, when I look at Georgia's team, like I don't look at it the same way I did last year. Like Last year, I, I, before the season started, I picked them to go 10-2, and two and people jumped on me like I was crazy. Uh, I ended up being wrong. They were 11 and 1, but I, I looked at a team that I thought had some had some concerns, like run defense for one. Um, I don't have that this year. I mean, the defensive line still isn't as strong, but I, I mean, we're a long way from having to make my pick. But I might pick them to be 12 out 0 this year because I wonder where the loss is on that schedule. I do tend to think it'll come at some point, but. Um, you don't look at this year's schedule because Texas A&M and Notre Dame are here and say, Ooh, that's where you got to really be concerned.
1: Right. Well, let me, let me ask you like a process question building off of that. Right. So it, it is almost hard to have like an interesting macro take on this team in some ways, because you're just like, well, they're basically good everywhere and the places where they're less quote unquote good, most people would trade for their depth chart. Like,
2: yeah, pretty yeah.
1: much anywhere else in the nation other than Alabama. So, like, you know, when you're working uh, for—I'm sorry—it just started like pouring on me, so I'm like walking outside of my school yeah. trying to find a place to stand at early. um <laughs> When you're working, yeah, sorry, I have—I have another job. Um, when you're working for a team, right? Like, you go to a practice, and aside from you know the thirty walk-ons, basically everyone there is in the 99th percentile of their sport. Right, so like what yeah. yeah in that situation, do you just have to rely more on sourcing because I'm imagining that in in a situation like that, the I test and becomes a much more difficult thing to do, like when you're trying yeah, to figure where, out how the team is yeah. going to be
2: yeah, that's where you kind of some of it is also like reputation, like these guys came here with you know these guys were a five star, these guys were a four star because I, I trust the recruiting guys, the guys that do those rankings and stars, they're, they're good at what they do. There's a lot more information available to them now than there was 10, 20 years ago, but it it doesn't always work out that way. I mean, DeAndre Baker was a three-star Jordan Davis was a three-star and he might've been one of the most impactful true freshmen on the team last year. Um, Right. But yeah, I mean, a lot of it is sourcing. A lot of it is kind of talking to people. Um, And I don't mean just on, you know, about off the record sources, uh, you know, who are around the team and have heard stuff, but I mean, like talking to uh, players, you know, when we, all, we always ask the veterans that they give us, like, you know, who's looking good and how is so-and-so looking. And The more you're in this business, the more you're able to read body language. I mean, they're trained not to give us much. They're trained not to say, you know, Oh, this guy's first team, this guy's doing great. This guy did this thing. Um, but we have our ways of kind of, kind of, I think in a reporter knows, like, right. okay, he's just answering that question perfunctorily. That guy is really probably not showing out much.
1: And I'm but assuming that allows a you to way, ask. Right. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead.
2: Yeah. And it, yeah. It, it just kind of, it, it gives you, you get vibes. Um, right. Like a quick answer saying, ooh, you know, their eyes getting wide, like, oh yeah, he's not good. Or, um, it, there's a lot of different ways that we've kind of picked up Without being able to watch all of practice to be able to say, "All right, we have a pretty good idea. This is how the depth chart unofficially looks."
0: My question, uh, as we're we're coming close to wrapping up, is uh, who else would you suggest we reach out to that would be interested in potentially being on an objective uh, Chuckle bucket <laughs> sports podcast?
1: Damn, dude! Way to uh, way to just like pull pull yeah. that pull that lead out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: the other uh, the other beat writers I mentioned earlier would all probably be uh, all probably be good. I mean, everyone has a different perspective. Um, you know, I, I I would invite people to Jeff Schultz, my colleague and friend, is somebody that a lot of people like enjoy ripping.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, <laughs> you know, because they don't like, his, they, they, but Jeff is like the furthest thing from a hot take person. You know, I, I can tell you that whenever he writes something, it's informed. It's, it's like, he talks to people, you know, he, he, he doesn't write something about Georgia without talking to me. Um, and he has some other people he talks to. Um, and you know, I roll with Jeff Schultz. He's, you know, he's, he's the best. Um, I, I think people would be interested in kind of getting behind the curtain on someone like him and how he does his job. Kind of, you know, I I think we in the media just need to, in general, be a little bit better about understanding the misconceptions people have about what we do Um, especially in this day and age when people are not naming names but calling us the enemy (laughs) of the people and such Uh yeah yeah that's Um,
1: that's, that's, i was trying to lob you some softballs there earlier because i was like damn we got (laughs) to really we need to like back people up here Mm -hmm. yeah anyway
2: and then i think some people's definition of the media is is a lot different they don't you know they they think that some guy at cnn putting on a cry on that's ridiculous you know um yeah. that's the media when the media is a wide swath industry with many different opinions and vantage points and jobs and perspectives so right. I, I think hopefully we in the media maybe need to do a little bit less whining and a little bit more kind of explaining to people of this is what we do and this is how we go about yeah. it. like one last thing, like. This shocks me, but this is an example. People like to attack reporters for using sources, um, especially when it's a story they don't like, when they don't like what the source is saying. And then why do they use anonymous sources? Well, I didn't know this. I didn't realize this. But people think that when we use anonymous sources, that the sources are anonymous to us. Like, I don't know who this person is. Like, no, no. I know who the person is. I'm protecting his or her identity.
1: Um, yeah, it's not out. it's not a deep throat situation. Uh,
2: <laughs> no, well, but but Woodward and Bernstein knew who Deep Throat was,
1: mm-hmm. right? They, that's true.
2: was. Yeah, but they and their editor eventually knew it. Um, but also, like when I use a source, it also has to be approved. I have to call my editor and say I'm using a source, and this is either a source we've used before, or you know, this is a new one, and this is how this person knows it. I can't speak for every outlet out there. Um, I'm just saying, in my situation, that's what we have to do.
1: I think that's a great idea because we, we're sort of like brand focused on process in general and like not getting rotty, don't get results oriented, get be process oriented. And so mm-hmm. that might be an interesting an interesting angle to pursue. Yeah. Um, hey, let me ask you one other thing because my boss, uh, I work with the Redcoats too, uh, and my boss asked me, were you ever in band <laughs> at any point?
2: uh i was in the orchestra uh i uh, played the violin believe it or not cool. from first until 10th grade i played the piano a little bit growing up too my my son is fascinated with band though now because he's five years old and uh we took oh, yeah. to a band concert a few years a, a few weeks ago the star wars
1: yeah, band yeah. Band. oh yeah the pop concert yeah by that yeah the yeah. lady who puts those on jackie she's amazing anyway yeah because you seem to be like most reporters are not very band savvy and I've noticed that you will treat like UJ's band is playing X, and I'm like, whoa, he can pick a tune out. So I was imagining, <laughs> I've always
2: had that. Uh, I was imagining that, that show named that tune that hasn't been on for years, but I would have excelled at that. I, I can. That's that's one of my deals. I can do that.
1: That's good. That's nice because when we when we play stuff and nobody get picks up the reference, it's like, <laughs> guys, come on, we're just trying to make jokes here. Um, yeah. Well, do you want to? To plug before we get out of here, just in general. Well,
2: uh, just the overall plug for the Athletic. Um,
1: the uh, you know
2: it's it's sixty dollars a year, which is five dollars a month, um, which when I was in my twenties was a bad night of drinking was sixty dollars. <laughs> um, so instead of that one bad night of drinking, just get quality sports journalism, mm-hmm. uh, and you can yeah. have a bad night of drinking the other three hundred sixty-four days of the year. <laughs>
1: And if you listen to this podcast, like you need to be on the athletic because yep. if you listen to this podcast it's because you are a dork who likes things made with quality because even though we are idiots I think this podcast is pretty high quality so like you it you need to be on the athletic. I am.
2: These you know. are these are great questions, I got to tell you. These are better questions than I get on my, you know, my, hopefully they're not listening to this but on my, you know, usual other radio hits.
1: Well, I spend I spend a lot of time. I spent a lot of time being like, I'm not going to like Charlie Brown miss this football here. Like if we're going to get a guest yeah. with some notoriety, <laughs> we are going to, by God, do this right. So I spent <laughs> way too much time coming up um, with the like three and a half pages worth of questions. Um, but yeah, man, we appreciate it so much. Um, yeah.
2: I mean, you know, I, I enjoy talking to people, even if it's not on the air, if they're smart questions. Yeah. and such. Yeah. So based on this, I'd be happy to talk to you a little bit more.
1: No, our, our, look, our, you're doing us a favor. We appreciate it, man. And I, I got to tell you that uh, my wife like, was, very, was a little bit perturbed because you sent that message about like, oh, why haven't I been on the podcast? And I had like the reaction <laughs> of like a 15-year-old Korean K-pop fan and was just like really losing <laughs> my mind. Um, but yeah, we're
0: cutting this part for sure. Uh, yeah, this is totally here. not going them. to be the cold open. Not at all jesus
1: um all right well yes we appreciate it so much man and uh yeah we'll be we'll be in touch as
0: we get closer onto the season here all right cool awesome thanks so much seth all right guys